Turn with me to Revelation, the third chapter. We're going to look at the next to the last church. We'll finish up our look at the churches in Revelation next Sunday. But uh, this, this morning we're going to look at a church, and, and just the message is entitled, Keep Being Faithful. You know, we probably all have a definition for what it means to be faithful. We, we think about uh, the faithfulness of people, and, and, and maybe sometimes our definition of faithfulness is defined by how we've watched someone else go through difficult times. You know, maybe, maybe it's as they uh, went through uh, a difficult relationship or, or maybe a difficult health circumstance or maybe financial trouble, struggles, whatever. But we've watched them literally in those situations remain faithful. And, and our definition of faithfulness is defined by those people that we watch. We say, well, that, that's what it means to persevere. That's what it means to be faithful. So it, it defines for us uh, what we think about when we, um, we go through those times. That's literally what the church at Philadelphia was. She was a church, not a big church. Uh, she wasn't a strong church. She didn't have a lot of people, a lot of resources, and she faced some very difficult circumstances in the surrounding area because Philadelphia uh, was, a, was a city much like Athens, they had a lot, of, a lot of temples for false gods and goddesses that were there. And, and so there were a lot of things around them that didn't always make it easy for people of the faith to be people of the faith. And so in that situation, Jesus commends them because they're faithful. And, and for us, you know, there are those times in life, every single one of us has probably had a time in our life where to the best of our ability, we, we, we want to honor God. We want to, you know, I, I really don't think most people who have any type of faith understanding at all about Jesus Christ get up in the morning and say, gee, today I want to see how much I can screw up my life. Okay? I, I just don't believe that that happens. For the most part, we want to live life pleasing to God. And, and to the best of our ability sometimes, we've had those moments or those times where where we've held on to Scripture and we, we've held on to what we understand and to the best of our ability, we've done it right. We, we feel like, man, I, I, I couldn't do this any better at living for the Lord. And what happens is it, it seems like the more we honor God, the further behind we get. Or maybe it's that situation where you trust and you do and, and you, you work out your faith with fear and trembling and it seems that the people who don't work out their faith with fear and trembling are the ones that advance. And those people who live for God can't sometimes seem to catch a break. And, and, and we've been there, every one of us. And we prayed those prayers of, of desperation, Lord, I... I don't even know where you are sometimes in this situation. But Lord, I, I want to live for you the best of, of my ability, but God, I, I don't know if I could even take the next step if you don't intervene. And it's into just that life situation. And that may be where you are today. Maybe, maybe you came today not really knowing what to expect, and, and, and the reality is, if we knew what was going on in your life, we would be looking at you going, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for persevering, for holding the course. And I want you to hear what God says to a church of people just like that. Keep being faithful. 
If you have your Bibles, open there to the book of Revelation, the third chapter. If you would, stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 7, red letters, Jesus Christ is talking to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and closes and no one opens, says, I know your works. Because you have limited strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name, look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Take note, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, note this, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my commands to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we uh, study this together. There's a couple of things that this passage takes us right where we are, uh, challenges us uh, right where we are to hold on, to persevere, to keep being faithful. And there's some things that, that Jesus Christ says that, that I think we need to hold on to when we find ourselves in those circumstances, in those situations. And the first thing that, that this passage teaches us is that I am to keep the desired focus. Look at verses 7 and 8. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and closes and no one opens, says, I know your works. Because you have limited strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name, look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Now, uh, Philadelphia is a city that has, as, as I began a few moments ago telling you, has a lot of temples for false gods and goddesses, a lot of, a lot of different religions, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different thoughts in and, and, and the process. They're, uh, of course, in the Roman Empire, and they are a main thoroughfare, uh, main trade city, so there's a lot of uh, Greek influence that's going on. And, and what Christ begins with right there is he tells them, You've done this, and the way you keep doing this is to keep the desired focus. And he starts by listing who he is. He says, I am the holy one. I'm the genuine one. I am the true God. I am the authority. I'm the one who can open that no one closes, and I'm the God who can close and no one else can open. He, he wants these people who are going through some difficult times to understand who he is that he is the God of the ages, that he is Christ, that he is holy, he is genuine, he is real, he is the authority. And so what he's telling them is, I am your source of strength. If you'll keep focused on me and everything that you'll do, you'll keep your focus on being faithful. So he starts out telling them, this is who I am. And then he, he moves into a phrase and he, he talks here about, you know, I'm the one that, that opens what no one can close and closes what no one can open. And it refers to a prophecy that was made in the book of Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, where we read the story of Shebna who had betrayed the nation of Israel. Shebna was a, a ruler and he had betrayed the nation of Israel and God through the prophet Isaiah prophesied that Shebna would 
lose his authority and he would be replaced by a guy named Eliakim who would have an open door of a ministry. He would have the keys to the city of David. He would have complete authority as a forerunner of Christ, someone who was Christ-like in his life. He was going to have this complete authority that God was going to give him. And so Jesus Christ is here saying, look, I am God. I am holy. I'm the true God. And not only that, I'm the God who has complete authority. I'm going to give you the ability to minister. When he says, I'm going to place before you an open door that no one can shut, he's saying, I'm giving you. Even though you have limited strength, even though you have limited numbers, even though you have limited ability, I'm going to give you an open door of ministry that nobody's going to take away. And the reason I'm going to do that, Jesus says, is because I know you. I know your works. I know where you've been. I know what you've gone through. I know that you've been persecuted. I know that you've struggled, and yet you have been faithful. The church at Philadelphia's one desire was to please their Lord. That's what they wanted to do. And because of that, because they kept that as a focus, they had been able to do that. There, there's no word of rebuke, no correction. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you need to improve in this area. This church hears nothing but encouragement and, condom, and, and, and commendation from Jesus Christ. You've done it. I know who you are. Now just keep going. Keep plugging. Stay focused on me. I'm the true God. Keep Keep doing the things that I'm doing because of my authority in your life. And trust that I know who you are and where you are and what you're doing. You and I have one purpose in life. And that is to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of every single believer. If you are here today and there's been a time in your life where you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, your purpose in life is to please God. And, and if I make that the single desire, everything that I do, if that becomes my focus, if that becomes the way I, I, I think and act, if I read the word of God wanting to bring that about, then it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me. See, there were people in Philadelphia who didn't think much of the church in Philadelphia. Jesus says, it doesn't matter. What matters is what I think about you. I know you. I know your faith. And so you and I aren't to worry about whatever else is going on, but we are to be faithful in Christ where he has placed us. Make that your single most desire. Whatever you're going through, good, bad, difficult, hurtful, make it your desire where you are to please the Lord. I want, I want to bring glory and honor to the Lord the best way I can. There's a, a young man named Nick uh, Vujicic. Some of you may have heard his story. Nick uh, Vujicic was born with no arms and no legs, okay? That's how he came into this world. Um, and yet, through his life and his faith in Jesus Christ, uh, he is a, a man of many accomplishments. He surfs. He skydives. He's married and has a family. He goes around the world fighting injustice, but more importantly, goes around the world sharing his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, a man who's born without arms and legs doesn't have much need for a pair of shoes, okay? But Nick Vujicic keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. And he says, here's why I keep a pair of shoes in my closet. I believe in the God of miracles. And you don't know when a miracle might come your way. So just in case, I keep a pair of shoes in my closet. And then he goes on to say, but the greatest miracle 
that I ever get an opportunity to see is when someone comes to faith in God through Jesus Christ and their life is changed. And then he says, just because you don't get a miracle doesn't mean you can't be the shining light of Christ on earth where he has placed you. You and I have one purpose. Please God. Make that the goal of your life. Keep being faithful regardless of what you're going through to please him because we serve a God who is always faithful. Now the second thing that this passage teaches us is not only am I to keep the desired focus, but number two, I need to let the Lord handle the obstacles. Look at verse nine. Take note, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying, note this. I will make them come and bow at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Christ encourages this church to keep being faithful and as they are faithful, he promises that he will come and remove the obstacles. How many of you, and, and I'm raising my hand early on this question, okay? How many of you, when you face an obstacle, your desire is to figure out a way to make it right? Okay, come on. Some of you, you, you got to be more honest than that, okay? I, I want to solve the problem. I want to make it right. I want to figure it out. I want to get out there. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I can do this. I can make this work. And I sometimes go to battle against obstacles that I'm not even supposed to be fighting. See, what the Word of God says is just keep being faithful. It's what Jesus told the church of Philadelphia. You keep being faithful. You keep doing what you're supposed to do. And one of these days, I'm going to make your obstacles those people who've opposed you, those people who stood against you, those people who laughed at you, I'm going to make them come and they're going to bow down before you and they're going to acknowledge that I'm Lord and they're going to acknowledge that I love you. Your job, don't fight the obstacles. Your job, be faithful. It's what God told the nation of Israel. You be faithful, I'll knock off Pharaoh, okay? I'll set a pick for him and he'll be chasing you down the basketball court and I'll set a pick and he won't even know what hit him, okay? I'll take care of him if you'll, you know, I'll, I'll crack back him, okay? I'll, I'll, he'll be running down the line fixing to make a tackle. Man, I'll just take him out of his cleats, okay? I, I don't know what other analogy I can use, but that's what he says. He says, you be faithful, let me handle the obstacles, okay? Let me be the one that's in charge, and, and so you and I need to trust that God in his time will remove the obstacles from my life if I will just be faithful. Now, now as I am being faithful, here's what I do. Being faithful means, first of all, living life faithfully. And, and I don't get to pick. See, there's some parts of the gospel that I can pick and I can do really really well. I am an expert in some parts of the gospel. There are some parts of the gospel, eh, not so much. So if I got to go through and multiple choice the parts that I like, man, I'd be perfect. But the problem is I don't get to define what faith is. Scripture defines faith. The Bible is the inerrant, infallible, complete, total, holy word of God. It defines itself. I don't get to go through and say, well, I like this part, and I like this part, this part, Now I don't have to obey that. No, first of all, my job is to be faithful to God's word in every area of my life, relational, 
uh, business, finance, um, of marriage, parenting. My job is to know what God's word says and to be faithful to God's word. As I am faithful, I live a witness, okay? Other people see Christ, and, and trust me, please hear me, there are a lot of times where my witness is not the best in the world, okay, especially when my kids were playing sports. Now, are y'all laughing at me or with me? You know, I, I promise you, my kid never committed a foul on the basketball court. Amen, that's right. But he got, or she got, or they got fouled all the time. And I was one of the first people in the world to let an official know about that. Now I have become an official. So I'm learning. I'm, I'm giving people an opportunity to get back at me for all those, those years that, that I've done it. The, the reality is in all that situation, there are times where my faith, I look like a hypocrite. Because what I say isn't always what I do. And, and the reality is every single one of us is there, okay? But what we have to realize is there are people on the outside who are looking at us and they're going, hmm, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Because that's not what they say. That's, that's a different deal. Hear me. We're all there. My job is to the best of my ability to live faith and to be a witness. And when I'm not, because I am living faith, I recognize those moments and I confess my shortcomings and I allow the God of the ages to empower me to get better in those areas. I can go to a basketball game now and I don't hardly scream at the officials at all. But that's because my kids aren't playing. Be consistent. Live your witness before the world. And when you mess up, confess. Because your life is a testimony. And then the last part of that is that I plead. It's what Paul meant. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And this is what he says. We are Christ ambassadors. And we believe that God is appealing through us. And because of that, we plead be reconciled to God. What's he say? We're his ambassadors. We're to live faith. That's what that means. I'm to be faithful in my witness before Christ. My life pleads. God makes his appeal through us. As I live faith, people see faith, and they think, hmm, that might be something I want to be a part of. And that's not enough. It's not enough just to walk around saying, I'm living a Christian life. The third part of that is that I have to begin to be a verbal witness. I plead, I say to you, be reconciled to God. Keep the desired focus, which is to honor God in everything that you do. Let God take care of the obstacles and you be the witness that we are called to be. And then the third part of this is that I should know in the midst of everything that I do that God is going to honor his name. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The victor, 
I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. God makes so many promises. If you and I will just keep being faithful, keep the desired focus, which is to honor him, and we'll let him fight our battles for us, trusting that he's going to work it out to the best of his ability, the third part of this promise that he makes to us is that he's going to honor his name, and he's going to honor his name in your life. And these are the promises that he makes to this church at Philadelphia. Notice what he says, first of all, verse 10. He says, because you've kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. He, he says, regardless of what your theology is about end times, okay, what Jesus says is, I'm going to protect you, period. When I first started ministry, I was a pre-millennial dispensationalist, okay, pre-trib. That meant I believed that the church was going to be raptured, taken out of here before the tribulation starts, okay? And I believe that because I was young in the ministry and because most of the people that I followed and read and studied were that way, and I really didn't do a lot of study for myself. As I have studied more, I am less a pre-trib person, and I'm more a mid- or post-trib. I believe that the church is going to go through some tribulation. And the more I studied that, the more I've really become a pan-millennialist, okay? And a pan-millennialist, I can't even say it. A pan-millennialist believes that everything's going to pan out in the end. <laughs> it's all going to work out. I don't know, pre, post, mid, I don't know. It's going to pan out. How do I know it's going to pan out? Because of what Jesus says right here. Now, see, there's some people that want to use this to prove that Jesus was going to take them out. But the language here, this verse, you can't use this verse for that because the language that Jesus uses here is the same part of his prayer in John 17 where he prays for his disciples and he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but my prayer is that you protect them from the evil one. While they're going through it, you protect them. And so my deal is, it doesn't matter if I'm here or I'm not here. Laurie says she's pre-trib, she's going I'm post-trib, I get to stay. That's, what, that's how we've worked that out in our house, and it balances out. But it doesn't matter if I'm here or not. What the Word of God says is, I'm protected. He's going to take care of me as I go through it. That's the first promise that he makes to the church of Philadelphia. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. The second thing that he says is not only is he going to protect us, but, but the second part of this, he says, is I'm coming quickly. And there are a lot of people that want to use that phrase to say, see, Jesus said he was coming quickly. He hadn't come quickly. It's been over 2,000 years, so he didn't know what he was talking about. That's really a really poor translation of the Greek, okay? Because what the Greek really means is I'm coming without warning. See, most of us would love a two-minute warning in our faith. You know, if Jesus will give us a two-minute heads up before he really comes back, man, I can get confessed up. I can memorize a couple of quick verses and I could be ready to go. What Jesus says is there's no two-minute warning. I'm coming without warning. Now, all those other churches that we've studied, when they heard that, they were like, uh-oh, we better get in line. But to the church in Philadelphia, when they heard that Jesus was coming out warning, they were like, cool, that's okay. 
That's a good thing because we know that there's no judgment because we've been being faithful to do what we're supposed to do. And then the third thing he says is, to the victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. Why was that important? Why did Jesus use that language? Well, because Philadelphia was an area that was known for earthquakes. And about the time they would get everything rebuilt, an earthquake would come and it would knock all the buildings down. And the only thing that would usually be left when the building fell was the pillars. And so Jesus says to the victor, to the guy who's faithful, who stays, who does, who trusts, who lets, hey, you get to be a pillar. And those people were going, yes, I'm still standing. I, I get through. I make it. And so Jesus makes them a promise. Keep being faithful. Let me handle the obstacles my way. And know that I will honor my name in your life. You and I have been called right where we are to live a life of faithfulness. We have one purpose. And that one purpose is to please God in all I do. And the only way I can do that is if I first and foremost have a relationship to Jesus Christ that's changed my life. It's changed who I am. Doesn't mean I'm always perfect. But it means that I understand that there is a God the God of the ages, who sent his one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me and to take the price and the penalty of my sin once and for all and grant me mercy and forgiveness. What does the Lord require of you? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. Love mercy. Act justly and walk humbly with the Lord your God. That's what God wants to give you. But you can't please God until you know him. And the only way you can know him is through a relationship to his son. And I'm not talking about being religious, okay? You can hang a lot of different labels on yourself. You can call yourself a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Pentecostal or a non-denominational or a charismatic or a Catholic. or Man, you can hang a lot of labels on yourself. The truth is, do you have a relationship to Jesus Christ that changes everything about you? And if you don't, then I would challenge you that today is the day of your salvation. Today can be the day where your life can change forever and your eternity can be made right. And you don't have to worry about what's coming tomorrow. You don't have to worry that there's no two-minute warning because Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. And that changes your eternity. How do you get that? It's real simple. It's not cheap. It costs the Son of God his life. But it's free. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, right where you are. Just tell Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you died that I can have eternal life and I can be forgiven. Forgive me, because I have sinned against you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, be Lord of my life. That's where it starts. And it's a start that if you mean it, it'll change your life forever. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your home. It'll change your job. It'll change your, the way you manage your money. It'll change the way you interact with people. It'll change the way you holler at officials.
I promise you. That's what God wants to do for you. Some of us are here, and the reality is we have a relationship to Christ. But maybe we're not living under his guidance all the time. We like to pick and choose the parts of faith. I like this part, don't like this part. And what God says is to be faithful. And being faithful starts with repentance, to think again, to get another think about what I'm doing, that this is wrong, this is outside the will of God. And I confess my sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I begin again to do what God wants me to do. Where are you today? In your relationship of faith, God wants you to be with him. God wants you to walk with him. And he wants you to know faithfulness his way.